0: Well, it is time for me to be quiet. Everyone clap. <laughs> pastor Dave, come on over. Here is Pastor Dave Olgren. I know for I know for, for many for many that are here that you were their pastor for, how, how long ago were you the pastor?
1: 1979 to 1987.
0: Before I was born. God bless you. Thank
1: you go. (laughs) Well, most people say that. (laughs) Yeah, Colleen and I came here when we, I think I was 29, and uh, had eight wonderful years here. So we're glad to be back again, and um, just thankful that uh, you've gone through your transition, and have a new pastor, and and Colleen and I were able to be here for the installation in July, so that was fun. And it's just uh, it's just good to be back again. Uh, thank you for your support of our ministry on a on a regular basis. It's just, it's a real blessing to us and and a great help. Some of you may not be aware of our ministry, by the way. I do have newsletters in the back, and and this is an older one. This is an October newsletter, but i still got pertinent information, and so um, feel free to take one. If you don't receive our newsletter on a monthly basis, please sign up. I'd love to have you get our newsletter so that um, when it comes, you'll just remember to even take 10 seconds to pray for us. Um, so <clears throat> there's really three aspects to our ministry, and in just a minute we're going to show you a short DVD on the ministry. But um, the first part of our ministry is, is our Media Evangelism Campaigns. We've done over 70 cities around the world. The last place that we've, we, we have done is just this last month of November. Now we did the city of Beirut, Lebanon. And, and um, basically what we do is we, we go into cities where, where we're invited by a significant group of local churches, evangelical churches in Beirut, Lebanon, invited us to come. And, um, and it takes us about nine months to a year to actually put together one of our campaigns. Basically, what we do is, is we gather the churches together. We ask them to pick 24 to 30 of the best testimonies, life stories from their culture. And then we do documentaries on each one of those people's lives. So at the end of the day, we have 24 to 30 life stories that are camera-ready for television. We purchase television time on secular television for a whole month. In fact, in Beirut, Lebanon, we were on three television channels, in, in, including the Lebanese state television, uh, so every night there's a different life story on television. There's no preaching, there's no plea for money, our name is nowhere. It's simply a life story from their culture that proclaims the power of Jesus Christ to transform lives. So basically they're telling their story, what their life was like before they came to Christ, how they came to Christ, and what their life is like now since they've come to know Jesus. At the bottom of each life story is a website and a phone number. The phone number is connected to a call center, so we train Hundreds of people in, in in many places, thousands of people to staff the call center 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the month of programming that's on television. Previous to the campaign, like about a week previous, we do all kinds of advertising. Billboards, bus billboards, full-page newspaper ads, um, r- radio and television spots. Basically, just all kinds of advertising happens. Uh, churches prayer walk neighborhoods. They pass out. Hundreds of thousands of brochures that 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 also advertise the campaign with with the television stations listed and and the times that the programs will happen and then and then it all begins and um, people begin to call into the call center and and um, we print a book every place we go this is the book we did in Mumbai India last year um, and it's very similar to the books we do all over the world and. And basically, it's got life stories in it from people right from within um, uh, Mumbai, India, in this case. But, but, but every city, of course, has life stories in it from within the city. Um, uh, people who actually gave their testimonies on television. And then, in the midst of the testimonies, there is very simple evangelism, discipleship, materials, who is Jesus, all the way to how to receive Christ. And so, we print thousands of these Um, I think we did 40,000 books for Beirut, Lebanon. We did over 300,000 for for Mumbai, India. We had 264,000 people call into the call center in Mumbai. We've had over 30,000 in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, The difference of numbers, of course, is is Mumbai is second largest city of the world, so uh, 23 million people. So you're talking just tremendous number of people. but, but in every place we go, we have, we, we have thousands and thousands of people that respond. And our goal is that everyone who calls into the call center, our goal is to have a live person from a local church from their region who actually hand carries the book to their home and, and develops a connection. And our goal is to get into their homes for four to five weeks uh, to go through the book with them. We see thousands and thousands of, of these people come to Christ, and assimilate it in the local churches. So it's a, it's a marvelous outreach. Um, as I said, we just finished Beirut, Lebanon. At the end of our campaign, uh, w- which happens in many of the places we, we do, we, we, we do live events. So we, we rented a 1,500-seat auditorium in Beirut, Lebanon, and, and, and we did three different events uh, on three different nights, packed it out all three times Lebanese army actually guarded uh, the building. Uh, We did have Hezbollah fighters actually come in and and, and sat in on the meetings. Uh, It was a marvelous, marvelous outreach, marvelous outreach. Uh, We were told that Lebanese people do not respond to altar calls very well. Hanu Halka told me, he said, I could not count how many people that were coming forward to receive Christ. Just absolutely thrilling, absolutely amazing. Um, 30,000 books have already been distributed, Um, even international. Jordan, uh, the Bekaa Valley, where there's 2 million refugees in one refugee camp. Uh, Syria, as as well as Lebanon. And 200,000 brochures distributed, 57 churches involved. So they got their hands full to follow up on 30,000 people. They said, leaders in Lebanon said, we are seeing our city reached in a way that has not been reached in centuries, centuries. So praise be unto God. You are a part of that by your helping us, by your support of our ministry. So thank you for that. Second part of our ministry is our, is our television broadcasting that happens out of Finland, out of our studios in Finland. We have three studios. You'll see pictures of them. And basically what we do, we bring people from all over Europe that are, that are from the Arabic-speaking world uh, from Iran, Farsi-speaking, uh, Sudanese, um, Somali and Eritrean, Ethiopian, uh, Hindustani. And so we bring them into our studios. They do programming, and it's all uplinked to eight satellites into the Islamic world. We get one to two million hits a month from the Islamic world because of our programming and because of our eight websites that are primarily in Arabic and in Farsi. And, and, and it, it's just, just absolutely amazing. I told Hanu Hauka, if that was the only thing that we were doing, we'd be hitting a home run because so many people are being reached for the gospel. Um, satellite television doesn't work everywhere. It doesn't work very well right yet in Africa, but it works wonderful in the Islamic world. Everybody watches satellite television. Iran, uh, 75 million people, 45 million satellite dishes. The only way the government c- can control uh, satellite television is by tearing down all the satellite dishes. So so the gospel comes direct into these countries by by via satellite television. And we are doing it every day, every day, every day. 850 programs a year into the Islamic world. And and, um, we are just so grateful to be able to proclaim the gospel in this way to a very, very, very closed area of the world. Uh, Thirdly, of course, we're still involved in the children's prison. In, in Russia, we are the only Christian ministry that has access to 70 children's prisons, kids between the age ages of 10 and 17. Some of them are in, are, are in prison just for stealing bread. Uh, Four million street chil- children in Russia, so all the kids are stealing bread. So if they're caught, they're thrown in. Guys, the boys especially, thrown in maximum security prison. Last night, I had somebody talk to me about this, and they said, um, Dave, I want you to know I've been praying about these boys in prison. And they said, you know, I, I, I saw many of these boys going into the Army, which is absolutely true. He didn't know that. He said, I saw many of these boys going into the Army. And he said, many of them are, are going into the Army and are being a witness for Jesus Christ because they have come to Christ. So praise be unto God. So uh, let me tell you one more story. This is worth taking the time for. <clears throat> Two years ago, our ministry was contacted by... Andrew Grubavinko, the Pentecostal bishop of Russia. And he said, We are seeing thousands of people come to Christ, not because of Reinhard Bonnke or because of Alpha or some other program or, or some evangelists, but just a sovereign moving of the Holy Spirit all over Russia. Huge country, 11 time zones. And, 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 he, and, and so he said, We need follow up materials. And we like your book. We've done 30 cities in Russia, so they know our materials. They said, could you do a book for us that would have life stories in it from Siberia to Moscow across all of the time zones? Hanu said, we can do that. We've done enough cities all over the country. Certainly, we could do that. He said, because we want a book that we can use everywhere in Russia. So Hanu so, said, OK, great. We'll do that. How many do you need? He says, I need a million copies. A million copies. OK. So, um, so we printed them in Siberia. Okay." and 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 you could never bring them into the country, but but you can print them in russia still and and, and so we printed a million copies. About eight months ago, he calls back. He said, "You know, in the last year and a half we we've, we've we've planted one thousand new churches in russia and 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 he said, "We have distributed these books all over Russia. In fact, they're all gone. We need more books." He said. Not only that, but the Baptist Union has joined forces with us to reach Russia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they want to be involved in this outreach. And they also want to use this follow-up material. So we need more books. Okay, Hanu says, how many do you need now? Five million. So we have just printed another 2.8 million. This is 30 cents a copy. You do the multiplication, you realize... You know, we're talking about a million-dollar project just in the books alone. Then he said, we're, we're totally out of Bibles. I mean, they print Bibles in Russia. But because there's so many people coming to Christ, he said, we don't have hardly any more Bibles left. Could you help us print Bibles? So now we are in the process of printing another uh, 300,000 Bibles into Russia. And, 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 and by the way, this, this, this gives that Russian report concerning concerning what's, what's happening in Russia. So again, thank you. And, and you say, well, you know, our, our little church here in Istanbul. Yeah, but you multiply that, this church, another church, another church, another church, as, as well as just tons of people in, in Finland that are supporting our ministry, just regular mom-and-pop people, you know, that we have 16,000 donors in Finland alone that are giving towards our ministry. And then God has blessed us with contacts with people that are, that are wealthy business guys who, some of them are living on an 80-20 plan. They, they live on 20% they give away, 80% every year. Um, one guy I met in, in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, he wasn't bragging. He just, he owns malls in Canada. And he said, you know, God has so blessed us that we live on 5% of our income. And we give 95% away every year. You know, so, so, you know, it happens when we all work together. So thank you for being a part of, of our ministry and our work around the world. My next campaign is Paraguay, um, Asensio in Paraguay. The next one that we're actually doing is before that is, is Sri Lanka, the whole island of Sri Lanka. Colombo is the capital that we're focusing on, but it's going to reach the whole island of, of Sri Lanka. Some of you don't know where that is. It's just south of India, and it's an island nation all to itself. Millions of people and, and that's our next actual direct outreach. So thank you again. We'll show the short DVD, and then I'll come back and uh, preach a little while.
0: of the world's population will be in cities by 2020. Does the church have a strategy to reach the people in their big cities? If they don't, the Great Commission will never be finished. We're not talking
1: about rocket science here. We're talking about simple tools to reach the world for Christ,
0: but it works. We've gone into each city intensively for 30 days working closely with the churches on the ground, a symphony of media. 30 days saying that God gives you the power to change, call this number. Everyone that calls the number, they get a 100-page, tailor-made book for that city containing the most powerful testimonies of how God changed lives. Primetime television, every night back to back for 30 days, same thing for radio, billboards, buses, trains.
1: The amazing thing is, is that these countries are not able to control satellite television and so we are able to come in with the gospel of jesus christ the clear way into these countries reaching an audience of, of over a hundred million people in places in the middle east and northern africa and the arabic gulf and asia uh,
0: these boys end up in prison and the whole reason why they are there is because there's nobody at home loving them, feeding them, taking care of them. There is no mother and father. But the colonel said, the words that you spoke today about Jesus Christ has meant more to these boys than the clothes. You're talking about their future. There will be no greater reward for our earthly lives and the reward of knowing that we have been instrumental in leading thousands, millions of people to Jesus Christ and reaching our generation in a way that we probably could never have done alone, but together we're doing it. And you are sending us.
1: Isn't that great little video? Um young youth pastor in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, put that together for me, and um, i proud of him, so God uses young people. <laughs> That's great. Great. Uh, Luke 21. Um, we're living in a changing world, huh? I mean, we're all focused on what happened this last week in California and uh, we we recognize that um, things are not as they were even here in the United States. Last February I was um, at National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville with Hanu Halka, the founder of our ministry. And um, I go every year, you know, he, he's a part of the board there and He's part of the international board. In fact, he was the international chair for NRB last year. Um, And I just kind of follow him around, just get a chance to hang out with him at NRB. And at the banquet last year in February, uh, Joel Rosenberg was the speaker at the banquet. Some of you know that name. Joel has written uh, 10 novels, five nonfiction books. The, The first book he ever wrote was called The Last Jihad, um, which was very prophetic, uh, previous to the, to the uh, Twin Towers being attacked. He actually wrote about that in a novel context. Um, and, uh, and that's been true about many of his books, very prophetic, even though uh, some of them are novels, some of them are nonfiction. They introduced him at this banquet. He got up to speak. And usually at a banquet, you know, they loosen up the crowd, tell a few jokes, so forth. He didn't do any of that. He got up and he just began to, to speak very clearly. And I recognized that, wow, this was, this was different. And so I, I took out my pen and grabbed a napkin and started writing down some of the things he said. Now, the, this is Joel's words. This is Joel's opinion. This is not the word of God. This is what he thinks. Uh, but, but let me just share it with you. first thing he said was, USA is not heading towards decline but implosion. He said 57 million abortions equal the judgment of God, and without a national awakening in our nation, we are heading towards the judgment of God. The judgment of God will only be held back if there is a new national awakening in the U.S. first national awakening was previous to the, to the Revolutionary War, 1730-1743. Uh, people like uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield were greatly used of God in that first national awakening amongst the 13 colonies. The second one ha- happened actually during the Civil War and, and following that. And there were kind of like waves of, of, of the outpouring of the Spirit across our whole nation um, from, from then on. And, and God used, used people like Charles Finney and D.L. Moody. And, 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 and it, it lasted almost 75 years, including going all the way up to Azusa Street uh, in 1906, great outpouring of the Spirit that happened all over the world. <coughs> the third uh, great awakening in our country is something that some of us were part of, 1960s and 70s. Uh, the Jesus People Movement, how many remember that? How many were here then? Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 the second, of course, was the charismatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened uh, uh, across denominations all over the United States. Thank, thanks so much, ben. Um So, um, so we have these these three uh, awakenings that have happened in our country, all all over the country. Um, since then, we've had little little fires of revival here and there, so forth. But we haven't seen anything nationally um, since then. How many believe we need a national awakening? Um, see, see, the U.S. was was Judeo Christian. In its, in its roots, and its background, in the foundation of the church. Um, many, many people my generation went to Sunday school, you know. Uh, almost everybody went to church. Uh, that, that's no longer the case. And, and so we moved from, from that to, be, to becoming a secular nation. Now we're becoming an anti-Christian nation more and more and more. And, and we're seeing it. We're just seeing it everywhere. So Joel, Joel is correct. Second thing, he said, we're not just facing the possibility of attack, but we are also facing the possibility of annihilation. Um, a quote from him, to misunderstand the nature of evil is to be blindsided by it. He began to talk about Iran and ISIS and how that they, are, they are right now opposed. You know, there's this, there's this uh, uh, network of nations that's happening right now between Syria, Iran, and, and, and Hezbollah, which, which is primarily out of, out of Lebanon, and, and, and they are all working together, all right? And then, and then ISIS, which is, which is totally different, uh, but, but very similar when it comes to their view of Islam. Their view of Islam is, 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 is very clearly strategically focused on last-day events, all right? They are believing that God has called them to usher in the great Mahdi, the the great Islamic redeemer, isn't that interesting? So 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 they they have a they have a goal of ushering in the Mahdi, and how are they going to do that via jihad? So 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 via war, and and so they they really don't care. ISIS doesn't care. Iran doesn't care. What it costs them the the couple people in California, uh, Southern California, this last they didn't care that they were going to die because they see themselves as a part of this movement of ushering in the great Mahdi. All right? And, and so uh, he mentioned that, and we did not know it at the time, but, but Joel Rosenberg mentioned last February that Iran was building ICBMs, uh, intercontinental ballistic Miss- missiles, to reach the U.S. Well, just, what was it, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that. Um, Iran after signing the agreement with the us and 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 Western Europe to to limit their nuclear activity um, uh, test fired um, massive ICBM okay kind of thumbing their nose at the at the us in that context and so we're 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 in a changing world we're in a changing world Rick Warren who pastors one of the largest churches in America recently said they're there are some things that are happening in the U.S. that will be worth going to prison over. There are other things worth, that that will be worth dying for. So we're, we're seeing a changing tide. In, 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 in Luke 21, Jesus talks about a number of things concerning last day events. He talks about um, the reality of deception, that there will be false Christs and false prophets and false teachers that will arise. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're going to see a multiplication of, of tremendous deception. So not everything that looks right, smells right, sounds right is right. All right? So we need to have discernment. You know, in these days so we don't swallow everything that's coming out of even our Christian culture. All right? So so we need to have our eyes wide open to the reality of deception. Secondly, he talks about in verses 10 and 11 he talks about wars and tumults and Nations rising against nation and earthquakes, famines, pestilence. He says this stuff is going to happen before the coming of the Lord. And then he talks about the reality of persecution in verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness, settle it. Therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. So, so kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek statement Jesus makes, because at one point he says some of you are going to die, and, and the next statement he says not a hair of your head is going to perish. What is he talking about? He's talking about the reality that they may be able to kill your body, but they're not going to be able to kill you. You know, and, and, and so he's talking about the reality of persecution. Now, we have not, in our culture, I didn't preach about persecution here when I was pastoring here. You know, I, I pastored 35 years. I don't know. I don't know if I ever had one message simply on persecution because it didn't fit our culture. It didn't fit where we were at. But, but, but we need to wake up and realize that those days may be changing for our nation. And not that we need to live in fear or not that we need to live with a sense of saying everybody's trying to persecute me, I have a martyr complex. But, but, but an awareness that we have, we have been blessed by God with a persecution-free culture for a very long time. And, but that may be coming to an end. And so what Jesus said in John 15, when he says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Okay? We need to embrace that reality. Jesus said, in the next chapter, in, in, in chapter 16, he said there's going to be some, of, some, some who will think they're doing God's service by killing you. That's reality. Philippians chapter 1, uh, Paul says, it's been bestowed upon you. It's been gifted to you. God has given you a gift to not only believe but to suffer for the sake of Christ. Second Timothy chapter 3, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That was true in Paul's day. If you were going to serve Jesus, if you are going to be a Christian in that culture, you were going to pay a price. Well, you know, we haven't had to preach that scripture because it hasn't related to us. Even though it's related to our brothers and sisters all over the world. North Korea, it's estimated there's 40 to 50,000 Christians in labor camps today, right now. Just because they love Jesus. Just because they love Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, to this you've been called. This is your calling. <laughs> it's, you, you've been gifted with persecution, and this is your calling. You've been called not only to believe, but to suffer for the sake of Christ. So, so Jesus goes through the process of talking about su- signs and suns, moon, and stars, on earth, distress of nations, perplexity. We got that, don't we? I mean, look at immigration. Look at, look at Germany with 800,000 new uh, refugees flooding into Germany. You know, we're concerned about 10,000. They got 800,000 that have not been vetted. Amazing. You talk about perplexity. You talk about people's hearts fainting with fear, foreboding for for what is coming. And then Jesus says, you'll see the Son of Man coming. Now, um, I mean, we're all aware of world events. And I, I could talk more about that. I'm not going to international... Financial insecurity. China with the Spratly Islands, South China Sea, the rise of ISIS. I, I mean, the Defense Department says there's seventy thousand in the Army uh, of ISIS. Some some political figures say it's thirty thousand. It, it's probably closer to seventy. The Kurds, who we work closely with in, in in northern Iraq, we've 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 done Erbil, Iraq, for a media campaign. They want us back for another city of. million in northern Iraq to do another city campaign there because it was so successful. They, they say 200,000. So it's somewhere between 70,000 and 200,000. Huge army. Huge army. And, and they're not going away, you know. And then, and then we see Russia, and, and, and they're creating a new footprint. They're, their economy is tanking, but in spite of their economy tanking, they're spending $640 billion to rearm. They're building a new base 31 miles from the Finnish border. And do you think the Finns are concerned about that? You better believe it. With 7,000 soldiers, and it's a, it's a freshwater base, and so they are going to have 45 submarines and 35 major ships that are going to be based right there. And and the whole Baltic region, Estonia, Latvia, Latvia, Lithuania, Sweden, that whole Baltic area is very concerned about about, um, the buildup that's happening with Russia. And now, for the first time in 40 years, they have their footprint in the Middle East. For 40 years they have not been there. Now they are. And on top of it, (laughs) Israel has now discovered oil in the Golan Heights. Massive oil in the Golan Heights, you know. And so this is the wild card. This is, you know, so, so we've, got, we've got, you know, oil in Israel now, which, which they, as far as we knew before, they didn't have it. Now they have tremendous oil reserves, you know. You've got Russia, you know, in Syria. You've, you've, you've got ISIS, what's happening there. I, I mean, we live in an interesting world, don't we? So what should we do? What should we do? well, maybe we should build some, uh, some new bomb shelters. <laughs> you think that's a good idea? How many remember, remember bomb shelters? Yeah, yeah. Any of us that lived in the Cold War, war area, we remember bomb shelters. I, I remember Interlake Elementary School where I went to grade school. The basement was a bomb shelter. And, and, and you'd go down there and, you know, we'd stand against the wall or, or, or better yet, Better yet, you know, in our classrooms, they'd had bomb shelter drills where they'd have everybody get underneath their desk for a nuclear attack. Yeah, get, get under your desk. That's going to that's gonna really help, you know. So crazy, you know. So, so are we going to build bomb shelters? No, we're not going to build bomb shelters. Let me, in, in, in 10 minutes, let me, let me quickly tell you four things that I think we should do. In Luke 21, Jesus said, when you, when you begin, verse 28, he says, when you begin to see these things come to pass, lift up your heads. I appreciate my pastor, Roy Johnson, Royal's dad. Some of you remember Royal, who was, who was here. Um, first youth pastor here, served under me, me for three years, Ian Bagusha. And they're doing well. Uh, they live in Eugene, Oregon. I just talked to Royal just recently on the phone. He's an he's a electrical engineer and 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 um, still involved in the ministry, do, doing great. Anyhow, so so his dad was my pastor at Philadelphia Church, where eventually years later I ended up going back there and pastoring Philadelphia Church. And um, I remember him preaching on this, and 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 I've never forgotten it. He said he said when Jesus said, "Lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh." He said it literally means put your fist under your chin, and force your head up. And that makes all kinds of sense to me. The older I've gotten, the more I'm aware, I'm I'm realizing that we we are so tethered here, aren't we? We are so tied to the natural, to the visible, right? I mean, you know, we're all tied to things like Iowa lost last night in the last couple minutes, you know? I'm sorry to bring that up again, you know. So, you know, I felt bad about it too, you know. You know, and and Fox News and Trump and, you know, Marco Rubio and this and that and what's going on and uh, how many are planning on going out for lunch today, you know. I, I mean, all this... There's nothing wrong with any of this stuff, but if we're not careful we just get we just get sucked in I get sucked into the international picture because we're so involved internationally so so I look at that and it, it's it just is it's just something i'm I'm fascinated by and I can get really hooked into and I can spend a lot of time looking at international events but in the midst of everything that's happening here we need to keep looking up we need to keep recognizing we're not just living for here. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, when God looked at his children, he was pleased with them because they could have went home, but they chose not to go home because they were looking for a city whose maker was God. They had their eye on eternity. And I know, I know, even at 66, I, you know, I I don't think about heaven every day. I probably should. That's a part of this. huh? That's a part of lifting your head up so that, so, so that you don't get caught simply living for now. We love now. Most of us do. If we've got good health and family and so forth, you know, we love now. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should love now. But don't lose sight That this isn't all it is. While we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Hebrews, um, 2 Corinthians 4. Things that are seen are temporary. Things that are not seen are eternal. Don't lose sight of that. Secondly, not only lift up your heads, but lift up your eyes. In John chapter 4, Jesus said that. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white to harvest. I love that text. I love when Jesus said that because he's not talking about mass evangelism. He's not talking about standing before a 1,000 or 10,000 or a million people and preaching the gospel. He's talking about one little lady, one little Samaritan lady that he had just reached out to that was just right then on our way back home to tell her town about Jesus. And he was so excited about that, and he recognized his disciples didn't get it, and he said, hey, guys. Don't say there's four months and then comes harvest. Lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white. So there are people in your life, in Dale's life, and in Doug's life, in my life. There's, there, there are people in our lives. Some of them are ripe. Some of them are ready to respond to Christ. Others are not ready at all. But we need to plant the seed of the gospel in their lives by our example, by our attitudes, by what we say, by what we do, by how we do business, right? All right? So, so, so they see our lives and they say, man, that guy's different. That woman's different, you know. There's something about that person that I'm attracted to. You see, sinners were attracted to Jesus. They weren't pushed off by him. He, they knew that he loved them. And the out, outright sinners in Esterville need to know that you love them, that you care for them that you connect with them. I love Christian fellowship, but if we're not careful, that's all we have. When was the last time you had a stinking sinner to your house for dinner? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a reality for, for Colleen and I as well. I mean, we can, we can oftentimes get so, so encapsulated by, by Christian fellowship that we lose sight of the fact that God has called us to, to not only lift up our heads, but lift up our eyes and look on the fields that are right within your grasp. And reach people for Jesus Christ in every way you can. That's a message for not just you, but for me. We all need it. Thirdly, Jesus said in John chapter 9, he said, "Work, work while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. I mean, you get that. Life is uncertain. Um, I mean, if any church gets that, you get that. You know, we think about Alan. I, I, every time I come, I can't but not think about Alan. He didn't know. He did not know that was his last day here when he passed. My, my son and daughter-in-law, uh, my daughter-in-law's uh, parents Uh, Before Thanksgiving, we're traveling from Toronto, Canada, down to Minnesota to see my son and daughter-in-law and our three grandkids. They stopped stopped, uh, right outside of Marquette, Michigan, got a hotel, walked across the highway, had dinner, walked back across the highway, got hit by a pickup truck hauling a trailer. She immediately was in the presence of Jesus. He had his leg leg broken severely. It's a long story. Funeral was just last week. Friend of mine is a missions pastor of very large church in 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 in, um, in Pennsylvania. Church of 3,500. Um, and and his pastor Brian Koch, and his wife uh, built that church from nothing. He was he was in the White Sox uh, system baseball system. Uh, was a catcher, first baseman, got hit in the eye with a with a ball, and 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 had to drop out of sports, and uh, ended up pioneering this little church in Reading, Pennsylvania. Now it's a church of 3,500. Last last June, he and his wife, avid motorcyclists, they're out for a ride, the two of them, a- and uh, they're a mile from home, and. And a drunk driver crosses the road in an SUV, hits them. Lynn, his wife, is immediately killed. Brian has his leg amputated, um, had to have 17 surgeries, was unconscious for an extremely long period of time. In fact, so long that his, um, the, the children decided, you know, we need to go ahead and have mom's funeral because we don't know when dad's going to wake up. And so they went ahead and did the funeral without Dad there. Um, the third Sunday of October was his first Sunday back in the pulpit in a wheelchair. And uh, Brian and Lynn did not know that was their last day together. I, I mean, that's that's life. That is life. We don't have guarantees my dad died when i was four years old at 33 years of age i've always lived with the reality of mortality work while it's day don't say well someday sometime i'll get my act together and do what god wants me to do do it now don't put it off and i'm not saying go to africa as a missionary i mean there's too many people on the mission field that god never called the mission field and they're miserable because they thought they are doing a spiritual thing by going to Africa, when God never called them to Africa, called them to Microsoft or whatever. So so figure it out. Find out what God wants you to do and do it. If you're supposed to farm, farm. If you're supposed to be a teacher, be a teacher. If you're supposed to do something else, do something else. But, But figure out what God has called you to do and do it. Work while it's day. God's called you to be a professor at the community college to do that. Whatever he's called you to do, do it. Do it. Do it. Let me wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says three things. Number one, he says, lay aside your weights and sins. You know, I could talk about sin this morning, but I'm not going to talk about sin. Wait. There There are There. There's just stuff. It's good stuff, mostly. It's holding you back from being and doing what God has called you to be and do. Lay aside the weights. Secondly, he says, run your race with patience. And that's what I was just talking about work while well it's day. Run your race. And you say, well, I don't have a clue what my race is. I knew what it was 20 years ago, but I don't know what it is now. Okay. I get that. You know what you need to do? Start praying every day. God, show me what my race is. Show me what I'm supposed to be doing now. What are you calling me to now? What's in this season? I don't want to waste my time. I want to run my race. Faithfully, Paul, when he ended the race, when he, when he was almost ready to get his head chopped off in, a, in a, a Roman prison, that's what he said. I have finished my race. I figured it out, and I ran it. He didn't put that on somebody else. I can't superimpose my race over your race. My race is no more important than anybody else's race. We all have a race to run. We just need to figure it out what it is and do that with all of our heart. And lastly, look unto Jesus. How many times good Christians have gotten discouraged and let go of what God had called them to do because somebody did something stupid. Some good Christian, somebody they respected, somebody they honored. How how many times? I mean, in the last 40-some years, I don't know how many times I've seen that happen where people get their eyes on people and they say, well, if that's what it means, I'm out of here. Forget it. How many know people are going to do stupid stuff, including me? Hey, we're human. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do our best not to be stupid, but every once in a while we do stupid. So, you know what? We just need to say, I am not gonna look at people. I am that's not that's not where my confidence is at. I'm gonna look to Jesus. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. People will, people can, you know. Okay, that's gonna happen. I just heard I talk to a pastor in Hawaii the other day that's a part of supporting our ministry and 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 he just told me another sad story about another great ministry I'm not going to even mention names many of you would know the ministry that's that's going down the drain because of inappropriate use of funds and you think oh God here it is again it's kind of like "Ah, guard our hearts help us Lord not to be stupid in the midst of doing the work of God right But at the end of the day, it doesn't change what I'm going to do. It's not going to change who I am. Why? Because that's not where my confidence is. My confidence is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, this morning, I thank you that we are living in very interesting days. God, help us to lift up our heads. Help us to lift up our eyes. Help us, Lord, to... To recognize we've got a great harvest field in front of us. Help us to work while it's day. God, we don't know. We don't have guaranteed of tomorrow. But Lord, as much time as you give us, help us not to waste what we have. Help us to lay aside our weights and sins. Help us, God, to run our race, to look unto Jesus. I thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. And I I would just encourage you. I'm I'm right here with you folks this morning. And I know my heart just says this morning, Lord, I just want to recommit my life to you for your purposes, for your plans. Help me, Lord, to to keep looking in the right direction. If if, if that's your heart, just, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, God, Here I am. I'm just recommitting my life to you for your purposes, for your plans, to do what you've called me to do, to go where you want me to go, to be involved in your plans and your purposes. Thank you for that, Lord. God, we just commit our lives to you today, to serve you and to follow you, to be your hand extended in small ways, in large ways, however you would call us, God. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace in our lives today. and As in just a moment, we're going to be partaking of communion, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you will enable us as we partake of these emblems. God, I pray that it would be significant, it would be powerful in our lives as we remember what Jesus you did for us. And as we recommit ourselves to you, to follow you, to live for you in good times and in difficult times, maybe even in persecuted times. But God, we just commit it all to you and say, God, may we walk before you faithfully. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Gospel Assembly podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dave Volger as much as we did. If you would like to donate to Great Commission Media Ministries, please make your checks payable to GCM and send them to GCM at P.O. Box 16418, St. Paul, Minnesota 55116. God bless you and have a great week.